It's episode 92 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Steve Rowe. Thank you very much. Hello, Stuart. Hello, Thank you Steve. for having me on episode 92. I feel like I should have waited eight <laughs> and then be for here for 100. Maybe I'll come back for 100. Because <laughs> um, that would be... No, but yeah, it's a pleasure. 92 is my favourite number. I don't know if it's, a, it's not anything, anything special about number 92. Is that a prime number? Um, you're very much asking the wrong person there. <laughs> <laughs> I was really, of all the things I've prepared for today's conversation. No, it's not a prime number. <laughs> my nine numbers. No, it's not. It's a very boys. Anyway, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> so it will have happened by the time people listen to this. Um, but I'm very looking forward to tonight's uh, Hoopla Monday drop-in, which you're teaching. Yep. Which is about Meisner. Yep, it is about Meisner. Although it'd be funny that after... <laughs> If this was released, if something really awful happened in the moment, not that wouldn't be funny. <laughs> but at the moment, we're looking forward to it, and I presume nothing bad is about to happen two hours from now. Um, so yeah, this evening we are doing. So I do teach these Monday drop-ins, um, and I've been doing them for years. And um, don't like to have favoritism um, amongst Tipler, but I think it's probably one of my the favourite things that I do. You get to teach a different theme every Monday. They're not widely advertised, really, and they're kind of buried on the website. So I don't really t- we don't really talk about them that much. But they've always been they've been ticking along for like almost eight years now, without almost without stop. And I get to explore a different theme every Monday. So this one's Meissner technique for improv. Um, so I'm not a Meissner teacher. So this is very much what this is is me extracting my favourite bits from the Meissner technique um, that I think are helpful for improv, and to try and inspire people to uh, try out the Meissner technique for themselves. Um, Quite often, people do get, you know, interested from it. And there's places like the Cockpit Theatre with the Salon Collective, um, Actors Temple, and Mark Phoenix at um, City Lit. They all do longer Meisner courses, which um, I've done bits of all of those, and I found them really good hmm. um, for improv. Uh, yeah, it's especially good. If you don't know what the Meisner technique is, should I do a chat about that? Hmm. Um, so here was a person called Sanford Meisner, um, he was based in, I think, New York. Uh, he's dead now, unfortunately. Uh, but he was a very influential acting teacher. Um, sometimes people group him together with method acting, um, but I think it is very much his own thing, actually. Uh, it's especially good for just picking up on what's actually happening in the present moment, um, which is why out of all the more normal or scripted acting techniques, I think it's the one that's most relevant to improv. Uh, there's no contradictions with improv and it, it's really helpful. Um, it's especially good at being able to pick up on like what's physically happening in the present moment and also what's emotionally happening with yourself um, and the other person. And he does that largely through these things called repetitions where uh, you just like, and you'll see this tonight. Um, I mean, it, tonight it will be for like, you know, for minutes at a time. But if you do a course, it's like literally for hours at a time, you're just up with someone else just making repetitions um, about, you know, what they look like. Um, and as you notice something about them, like you're smiling, they would repeat, I'm smiling, you say, you're smiling, I'm smiling. And you repeat, repeat, repeat. The idea being that because the words are taken care of, eventually you're left with like just the strong emotional connection between the two person, yeah. two people. Um, 
and the other reason I'm, I'm a fan of it, I'm, quite, I'm a big fan of improv that doesn't feel like bogging down people with too much to think about and instead feels like removing stuff to think about so that you're just left with you know, very little, just the fact that you're there with the person yeah. um, emotionally reacting to them. Uh, so yeah, that's my, my technique in a nutshell. <laughs> um, and fun fact for you. So um, we're running auditions for new shows recently. And um, we audition everyone who applies. And it was really great, an amazing amount of, amount of people and really high standard. Um, and I chose people just solely based on audition. I hadn't even looked at the application. Then, once we started the group, uh, both groups, about half the cast, had done lots of Meissner techniques. So yeah. it seemed, and without me realising, so it seemed to be, I mean, either that means I've got a strong personal bias to people who are using that, and even if I'm not, not consciously aware of it, or it just seems to be like the kind of magic, the magic superpower uh. of improv. Uh, and then fun, Meissner fact number two, um, Adam Megiddo at Showstoppers um, also teaches at uh, Lambda, and um, he used to be head of foundation there, and he teaches improvisation there. Yeah. So he actually did a you know a proper test. He had two streams of people coming in, two two groups. Um, one group teaching improv. He just started with improv and he did the usual improv stuff. Um, and the other group bef- before he did the usual improv stuff, he did Meisner for like six weeks in a row. Oh. And he said the second group, the Meisner group, they were just like so far ahead of the other one. Yeah. And it was so much easier to teach them, and like the sh- the shows that they were doing at the end were like you know phenomenally good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, I think it's very much um, a great bit of acting to apply to improv. I mean, I imagine it helps you to slow down. Yep. <laughs> and to be more aware of the person that you're improvising with, mm-hmm. and be more honest in your emotions. Yeah, um, I agree. So. Um, more aware it's almost like totally aware of the other person so um he can't remember the exact quote but he's saying he's basically saying everything you need is with the other person which Mm. is very relevant to improv even though like it was disconnected from that like many fields of theater it feels like something that has rediscovered something else from a completely different field um and there's all these amazing overlaps that happen but yeah and when you first do it you're you're fully listening um and full focus on the other person. That's like your only job. So your impulses and your physicality and emotions always happen like by accident because you, you your focus is on, is on the other person. And as you go on through it, you then also um, pick up on like what's happening with you as well. So there is eventually like this sort of inward look, looking and then outward as well. Um, but yeah, basically being very emotionally honest in the present moment. And for me, what that means, and this is what I'll do tonight, um, I mean, it's different ways you can, you can look at that. But for improv, I think it's not, that's not as deep and meaningful it has to sound, like being emotionally honest in the present moment. I see um, examples of this in real life. So for me, um, I had a bunch of friends come over, old high school friends, come over to my house a couple of Sundays ago. There's about five of them there. And uh, when they first got there, I felt like very awkward. I was like, do you want a drink? But they couldn't choose straight away. And that, and that I find that really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got that from my dad because he gets really annoyed by that. And so I stood there and I was like, do you want a drink? And they're like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't say what they wanted. And I was like, we've got this, this and this. And they're like, in a bit. And I was like, well, I don't want to make drinks in a bit. I want to 
I wanted to get the drinks done yeah. and then get on with the company. So there was, there was that going on. And then there's a sort of like, almost like conversations about catching up, you know, where you're done. And then you're, you're like, is this person talking? Should I join in with that? And it's almost, it's almost too much. Um, but then we went to a trip to the park and we just walked around the park and the people who had their kids with them. So just, we we're mucking around in the park. There was snow. Uh, one of the kids had never thrown a snowball. We couldn't believe it. So we're like, have you never, th- have you never thrown a snowball? And they're like, no. Uh, like throw a snowball at Jason. <laughs> so we made snowballs and lobbed it at Jason. And then, and then when we came back and sat down again, um, we're just sort of there with each other. And it, for me, it's just like, that's a kind of normal, natural place that humans should be. Uh, not should be, I can't say should, but used to be more of, I think. Yeah. But because we live in London, or work in London, there's a lot of computers in the way, it's very stressful, we're always moving forwards, so we're going through to-do lists, we've got pressures of like, like financial stuff, like housing's really expensive, there's like, if there's not a computer in the way of us, there's a screen in the way of us, there's social media, there's blah, 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 blah. Um, that to just be there with someone without thinking about something else in the past or the future or without a worry, mm. is now a kind of like weirdly unusual thing um, for a lot of people. So I think Meisner, for me, it's just like when, when you, you get it with someone on stage, it's not like a wave of like, oh my God, epiphany of how complicated it is. It's, if anything, it's a relief of like everything else is gone. Mm. And, um, you know, rather than performing on stage, thinking that every line is <laughs> influencing your entire improv career. <laughs> it's like, a, you know, just remove the baggage yeah, yeah, yeah. and go back to like what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, so that's the main bit for me but then also um, it does have different sides to it it's the other thing about Meissner Technique is then you, you, you do then get used to especially with a longer course it won't happen tonight in one workshop you then get used to allowing yourself to let out um, bigger emotions Yeah. Um, and for me I'll talk about this tonight but for me, again, I think there's a reason that we don't do that on stage, and it's not necessarily a bad reason. It's because in real life, like we can't do that all the time. Like we, we wouldn't keep a job, and you wouldn't keep a house, and you wouldn't, you know, keep, you know, it'd be it'd be difficult. So yeah. we, we do have to repress emotions. Like if you, working on a Friday and at five o'clock, your manager's like, "Have you done that yet? Yeah, I'm really going to need that by Monday morning." You feel like screaming to to him or her. Like, fuck off. <laughs> but you can't do that, so you have to repress an emotion and um, word it in a more constructive way. But, you know, in Meisner, I would say, scream fuck off. Like, you know, what, what's the more animalistic response? And you let that out. Yeah. And, um, and just, and it's, it comes from knowing that the stage is like reflective of real life, but it is different. It's like you walk into the workshop or the show and you, you basically walk through an airlock you're away from work and home and there are no consequences of being spontaneous anymore as long as you're not sexually weird uh, as in doing things don't do anything sexually degrading or physically dangerous but other than that yeah. any emotion you have you can like let out yeah and that's quite an amazing thing because i think um when people first do that and this is my own experience of it all uh no it's not i had two separate experiences of this so one stage of my life when I was doing improv and, and drama for the first time in Meisner, 
I felt a bit emotionally deadened in real life. I, was, I thought I didn't really have emotions and I was quite stoic and like my face was just sort of unexpressionate. Um, and so doing a lot of mindfulness made me realise like, more aware of these little glimmers of impulses we have that I wasn't noticing before and eventually they get bigger. And then there was another stage of life where I did it where I had some like unfortunate sequence of events happen in life where I just had like, you know, a crescendo, a massive, like almost deafening noise of emotion I was walking around with all in my life that I couldn't let out. Mm. I just was, I just didn't have anyone that I trusted to be able to talk about what I was going through. And then you put that in a rehearsal room and suddenly you're like, holy shit, like that's allowed out. Yeah, and yeah, suddenly yeah. There, was a, there was in workshops where um, I was saying stuff that in real life I was really worried I didn't want to let out. And I was saying it, I was letting it out. And then the teacher was being like, well done. <laughs> and then like commended and applauded. And then people afterwards come up to me and be like, it was amazing stuff. And I was like, this is so weird. This is literally... This is my head. This is like the part of me that I thought was a problem yeah, yeah. at work. Uh, and in my personal relationships, I thought I had a problem dark side of myself. But then suddenly you go into the theatre and drama and you're like, no, that's not a problem. It's just the si this, it was wrong for that situation. But in this situation, it's like, let it out. So, you know, um, it won't happen at my one. My one's like mice no light and I'm not, right. a, I'm not a, like, a qualified mice teacher. So I'm just doing a taster to inspire for future stuff. But the courses I've done, I mean, <laughs> people do like... Uh, I mean, there's real arguments, like, you're not improv arguments, but I mean, real fucking hatred in yeah. the present moment. And there's, like, kisses and hugs and, like, just pure sexual attraction. And people go through all of that. And whatever happens at the end, you, you, it's fine. You don't have to talk about it because it's the present moment that's making that happen. And not only is it fine, it's actually beyond fine you like you're kind of like thankful to the person because it's nice to have a moment in your life where people are actually not bullshitting each other yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just being like a hundred percent emotionally honest is um, I think it's exciting to do as an improviser and I think it's exciting to watch um, well I can't talk for all audience members but I know I enjoy watching it and I know that in my opinion, you don't have to be trained in improv to know if someone is being like honest or not. And when someone is honest on stage, uh, like a hundred percent, picking up on like how they generally feel, like the audience see what, what's happening as well, and I think um, they like that. It's yeah. kind of this feeling of like, wow, someone can actually say um, what they think for a change. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I very much enjoy that aspect of improv in that you can say things that are, you know, yeah, the same on your dark side um, and because it's theatre it's an acceptable place to express these things yeah um, and I find that really uh, rewarding it's interesting what you say about people um, having uh, say romantic scenes or uh, argument scenes yeah because I was having a read of the Hoopla website today and there was a section oh yeah about dealing with people who were taking those emotions yeah. from improv and then thinking that they were applying outside. Oh yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah, so we've got, I and mean, we've got like a kind of some training for our teachers that we do now. So we went, and it's pretty extensive actually. Yeah, it's really good. We went through like I went through systematically uh, last summer. Um, you know, every possible tricky thing to deal with. So it's just like here's our policy on it. So teachers like read that. It's kind of open to change. So we put that in. Uh, so yeah, one thing is like people like. 
I think people are newer to improv or acting. And this is, this is mainly, this isn't so much like just improv games. It's when, if the bits where improv crosses over into acting, mm. like the more theatrical style. Yeah. And you're approaching that emotional honesty. So the Meissner stuff. Um, I think experienced actors know that what you, you, you give into your genuine honest emotions in the moment, but it's, they only belong in the moment. That doesn't mean anything from off stage. So you can have two people on stage who in the scene totally fancy each other and that's okay. You can play that love scene. And those emotions are real, like in that moment, like they can feel that way. Um, and it might change as it goes on. But it's just to kind of let people know. So we just, it just sort of explicitly say if someone's had that scene that, you know, that, that was great and that's allowed in the moment, but it doesn't mean anything off stage. Otherwise yeah. you get that awkward situation where, uh, you know, someone at the bar afterwards suddenly thinks, oh, this person fancies me. It's like, no, that's not, <laughs> we're now in real life. There's yeah. a whole load of other stuff. Yeah, they fancy them or they're really angry with them and they want to have continue the argument that they were having on stage. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. So it's just to kind of... And I think that a lot of that comes from like a well-run workshop of make sure you do the cool-downs afterwards and like it's almost... You don't you know, let people go back into normality a little <laughs> bit. Um, and yeah, that stuff is true. So like, you know, we are human. So obviously people are attracted or... or or not to each other in in real life, and that is going on. It's like the unwritten thing of men, of many things, and like you know, people find other people annoying, or they like them, they want to make friendships with them. That's always ha- going to happen in the improv scene. And there's loads of stuff you just you wouldn't talk about, but you know that's just fine. You know, just just leave that. But once you're on stage, it's like, no, how do you feel about this person now? And now it can come out. Yeah. But it's just the moment that's happening it. And then weirdly enough, the moment that you feel about you're on stage, you, the situation can take, totally change how you really feel about someone. Like um, me and this, uh, I was with the, at, at the Salon Collective at the Cockpit Theatre. Me and this guy don't really know each other, but just sort of chatting, you know, just making conversation before each workshop. But nothing particular about that. Did this scene, and we immediately, like, I was like, fancied him. And... Um, and I was like, God, where's that come from? And then so I sort of gave into that impulse and it wasn't not back. And then we had a kiss and it felt nice. And then when we sat down, we were like, what? <laughs> and the teacher was like, well, yeah, that was just that moment. And it's loads of different things, like how you're sat with someone, what's the body language happen to be? And like, you know, it, it's the moment, the improv, the, the scene that's making that happen. But, you know, I don't, we wouldn't then have to embark on some apology or affair afterwards <laughs> <laughs> it was just inter- it was just an interesting acting moment and i think um i think that is tricky because people who have all come from that background i think you know i think a lot of conflicts in improv come from that it's that you know uh this is why we had to write this massive code of conduct and just spell it out to our teachers of like what we're going to say is you know what because i think uh you got to be careful because otherwise some people are could end up offended in a workshop if, if the other person is just being purely emotionally impulsive and is from the background of like it's the moment and like it's not personal even though it is personal because that's what I feel right now whereas sometimes other people are more like who, who you are in improv is, is the real you yeah. and I think you just have to make that clear in the workshop and like it is really tricky though I have to admit because everyone's different and um, 
Yeah. I didn't know whether to be... I kind of felt both really sad mm. in that all these awful things could happen, but also really happy that at least you had sat down and thought about it and worked out what to do in all of these situations. I was a mixture of like, well, pleased that you'd done this, but also kind of sad that it had to be that way. What awful things? Well, just, just all the things that can go wrong in an improv scene, just all the things you need to be watching out for. Oh, yeah. You know, just well, sort of be prepared for. I mean, that came from... I mean, we have luckily we haven't. I don't, not that I, as far as I know, we haven't had any major problems in London. Mm. But it came from because there's quite some big major problems in LA and Chicago, where there was a few cases of like sexual misconduct or harassment, yeah. and um, where in various theatres people felt like they'd had that happen and they'd escalated it, uh, but it'd been ignored or it'd been like um, denied and refused, and, and then certain people had ended up staying in the company at quite a high level. So that was, I think that popped up a couple of years ago. So obviously that was a massive warning signal to me. It's like a much smaller company, the earlier stages. It was like, right, let's, I was just like, basically I was like, let's pretend we're a massive company 20 years from now. And let's just fix this now before we do anything else. Because I think back then I could have been focusing on new shows and doing more courses but I was like you've got to fix that first yeah. but like I said we didn't have a problem but I think maybe we don't have a problem because we've thought about it now and um, so we have like stuff for the teachers to focus on retrain with them regularly um, then like clear channels of communication from students and also don't have one communication channel um, have like give them multiple options yeah. hmm. one thing I could do better I think is like make that clearer to the students because but that's kind of like never quite worked that out because if someone's just started a beginner's course they're really excited and yeah. if the first thing you do is do a half an hour chat they're kind of like what the hell have I signed up for yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, I think it just has to be like very simple um, things but then offering more people more information if they need yeah. it and the main thing is like on in the class like we're very much like the first two workshops were very much like this is shaping the whole ethos and just yeah, but like I said, I don't, um, we kind of we've done the work just because we learnt from others, yeah. really. And that's best to be prepared. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you've got—is it two new groups that you're directing that you've recently auditioned for? Yeah. So, um, so Hooper in general, we're going to be starting um, about two new shows every season because the Miller now which is the space we use for shows uh, is now available Saturday daytimes um, for free which has been really good news for us because mm. we can use that for rehearsal space um, so yeah years ago we kick-started a bunch of groups and then obviously we've had we've got our regular groups that have popped up and have been performing a lot and I just thought it was time to get some new stuff going especially because we've got so many people coming out of courses that I really enjoy watching and I just wanted to give them a chance to perform uh, more. So I'm directing now, it's only early days, directing one new narrative group. Um, so we're kind of learning narrative long form in general, mm-hmm. and then we'll be applying it to different genres as we go. And then one long short form group so that we can sort of revitalize that a bit. So, so eventually uh, invent lots of new games, yeah. get it a bit more sparky and make, make that fun. And then we're going to start a bunch of other new shows. I think we're going to hold auditions for them 
um, late summer and then kickstart days in September onwards and then after that like every season we'll be starting two new groups so eventually uh, I mean all the regular groups we'll, we'll still have that yeah. we've got there but it just means there'll be like some fun new stuff happening yeah, and, yeah. Um, so yeah that's what we're doing um, it was really fun running them I learned a lot from running auditions I mean if you guys if, if you're listening at home um, and you're in the auditions I wanted to say that you were great because everybody was it yeah. was like it, it taught me a lot about the fact that uh, there's some amazing improvisers out there and there was it, I mean they've had so many people apply and there was very little in it like any yeah. pretty much anyone who came I could imagine them being in a show after rehearsals and doing a great job so yeah. there wasn't much in it and it and it also made me realize that for myself to like go for auditions more because even if you get turned down it's it's never for like a big deal no one ever thinks you're an idiot like yeah. it, it, you sh- there's like you know 50 people I thought were great and I could imagine putting them in something yeah. and hopefully have space for them again. Um, and it's always just like tiny little things and such personal little opinions for stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I hope the auditions, um, we're going to run more. Many worry about auditions. I hope they don't usually run auditions. Yeah. Many worry is it sort of, it does, if it segregates people a bit, but I think because we've also got jams and loads of other show space, yeah. I think I still want us to be a place where we've got room for everyone. Yeah. But it's just that these are going to be like more focused groups. And for me, it's just to kind of um, sort of push boundaries of improv a bit more. I don't want us to be, um, I don't like as a company. I don't want us to be like hung hung up on the past too much about like where's improv come from. I want us to kind of like invent new stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, what I'm excited about the shows is I don't really know where they're going. So I'm gonna first couple of rehearsals. I'm just being like, this is how this this form already is. Yeah. But then we're gonna keep going and see where it ends up. And um, and uh, yeah. So like this time next year. We should hopefully have like about six new regular groups that are doing stuff, and um, yeah, I just want to kind of experiment, and but with a focus on experiment to in, with aiming to make shows that are really good fun for the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> during the audition process, what yeah. what were what did so say if someone had come along to yeah. a Hopler audition, what what would they be asked to do? Um, it depends. So ne- well, we're going to change what we did. So last time, uh, I think we had quite a lot of people apply because we hadn't done it for a while, mm. and c- I only had a finite amount of time to run auditions. So w- they were two shorts. So uh, it was just like a couple of improvised scenes, basically. But I think next time, what I'd aim to do is like a one-hour audition, uh, two warm-up games as a group, and I'd just be like, "This isn't. We're not going to monitor the warm-up games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so we we're warmed up together. I said just to cut through that awkwardness." Um, and then, yeah, basically a bunch of open scenes, just, uh, you know, two people up, two or three people up, um, a suggestion. Uh, I went for suggestions that I already had, just so that it wasn't kind of, you know, today biased or um, weird having to get suggestions for, for, for each other. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just basically a bunch of open scenes. The reason being that it doesn't matter what improv you've done, I think everyone's done scenes at some point. Yeah. And... Um, and uh, yeah, it is weird. Like I think because I'm used to teaching, so teaching, I try to be really supportive, and I'll be and I'll be like, right, I pick up the mood of the room, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I think the room needs this. Like, they need a bit of really light relief, or they need, 
But when you're running auditions, I'm like, oh, okay, I have to not do that. And they are st- stressful, yeah. but also I think they are reflective of how, how someone might behave in a show, because I think it's all very well performing improv in a workshop where you've been warmed up for like 40 minutes and, and gone through a sequence of mantras and like, <laughs> you know, that's great. But I mean, some shows you're just going to rock up and, yeah. and the audience is way bigger or way smaller than you thought. Uh, there's someone chatting at the back who's really annoying. The venue's like different than you imagined and you haven't got a place to warm up and you have to go on and do your show. Yeah. So I think that's, um, for me, that's a big difference between people learning improv and like perform- performers of it now. It's, I think as a performer, you have to kind of look after yourself a bit more. Hmm. Not in a selfish way. Like you look after yourself in order to be a great member of a team. So it's things like, um, you know, warming up yourself before you get there or spotting that the room might feel stressful or there's all the group stressful, but not giving into that. Right, yeah, yeah. And I think also like really good performers are great at, um, yeah, sometimes not following where the group is and just being the change that's needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if a group's stressing out, it's just like really experienced performer will just visibly like relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Andrew Gentili is a great example of this. So, you know, I've been in festivals with him where I'm quite stressed, but he doesn't match me. He's just like clowns around or pokes me or like <laughs> does a meditation on me. Yeah. And he, he like relaxes me. And yeah. that's a very giving thing to do. Um, and it's the same with like going on stage, like say um, Connor Jatter's brilliant at this with the RH experience where I was at my launch pad once and it's kind of quite a dead night. It wasn't that busy. And one group was quite negative. So then the next group went, before you know it, the whole, the yeah. whole night was sort of like, just felt kind of not great, like yeah. not fun. So the first group were negative on stage and all negative yeah. on stage. Yeah, and then the next group were as well. Yeah. And it's just like loads of quite depressing scenes. <laughs> and then the audience had just been like, were lost. And like, because the other groups are just picking up on like, oh, the mood's like this, so I feel like this. yeah. Whereas Connor picked up on like the moods like this, so I need to be like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a big difference between like a kind of beginner performer and someone who's like you know uh, more professional. I think. Yeah. It, it, is there at the back and they're like, what is what does this show actually need? Right. Yeah. So yeah, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> he comes out of nowhere and he's like, yay! Like just jumps on hundred percent energy, and like immediately changed the whole audience. Like, yeah, lifted yeah. it because um, he doesn't give in to like what the mood is. So. Um, I think I'm good with that, with teaching. Um, I have to admit, as a teacher, it's quite funny for me because I get to see all these moods that turn up. And Mondays, people are in quite good spirits, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're not worn out by the working week. And they're like, I think it is, fun. loads of people, like you see tonight, they're like, I'm going to start my week with improv on a Monday. Hype good spirits. By Thursday, oh my God, everyone looks like, quite often looks really run down when they turn oh, up. No. And you have to like, as a teacher, you have to be like, right, there's nothing wrong with me or the class. Yeah. I, I just need to acknowledge the facts, kind of run down, not quite with it, and just sort of build them up gradually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I try to remember it with shows. It is a lot harder with shows. It's quite an emotional experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, there you go. No, it is really interesting, uh, that being aware of the mood. Yeah. And, yeah, not necessarily just tapping into it, but actually taking a step back and going, okay, so I've observed the mood. Yeah. And now I've, I am able to change it or yeah. Yeah, having that detachment is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned taking care of yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, 
yes. I feel like we should say this is one of the one of the few things we pre-planned for this conversation, wasn't it? <laughs> so, I mean, you could slightly hear the gears as I as I changed gears. Yeah, it's a good segue. <laughs> segue from that. That was very good. It was professional until I ruined it all by <laughs> like pointing it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is the? Because <laughs> now I'm going to go. What is the? Uh, what is the influence of exercise on sleep on your improv? <laughs> Well, that didn't sound at all like a pre-planned question. No, well, it's funny you should ask, Stuart, because I realised last year that with teaching, I know it's not so not so sure about performing, but with teaching, because I started to do that full time, and um, the first year I was doing it full time, I genuinely thought, oh God, I can't do this. I can't be Mr. Positive and Supportive, yeah, like six days a week. And I was just like, how the fuck am I going to do this? Uh, and I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to fake it, uh, which I don't want to do because I'm asking people not to fake it. But then I realised like, the biggest change for me with my improv teaching life was nothing to do with improv. It was just like uh, other life stuff. Yeah, 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 and I know I'm not the first person to think about this stuff. It's really <laughs> obvious stuff, so I'm not going to. It's not some like oracle of advice here, but for me. <laughs> It was so bait. For me, it made such a difference. And I was like, oh, that's why people mean. So, <laughs> number one, top of the list, was I cut out caffeine. And I kid you not, that was the biggest difference to Hoopla. And, like, when I cut out caffeine from my life, Hoopla, like, doubled in size um, in about a year. Wow. And I swear the main reason was I wasn't having caffeine, which meant that I wasn't in this state of anxiety and paranoia, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I used to have a lot, and I used to think, oh, that's just life. <laughs> and I spoke to a few people, and my wife, George, is a mental health nurse, luckily, and she was like, well, no, that, that is a thing, but that's not everyone's life. That is, it does seem to be a thing in your life, which is like certain amounts of the day I'm living in like uh, anxiety and paranoia, especially paranoia. Yeah. Um, and even got to the point where I was like, uh, so it's a bit oversharing this. Whereas I, I, I think I'm starting to have like auditory hallucinations. So there'd be sometimes when I was teaching, and I'd hear some someone say something, and I'd be like, "I'm really sorry to us. Did you just say?" And they'd be like, "No." Oh. And it was when what it was is when I couldn't hear stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mind was like filling in the blanks. Wow. In a very negative way, quite often. So I was like, "Oh, maybe this just goes with the territory. Like this is how it works." Uh, then I realised what it was is I, I, I just um, had to cut out caffeine and um, I was having a delayed reaction to it. So it's hard to spot because it wasn't like a coffee just before. Sometimes it was a coffee like in the morning. Yeah. Um, and so I just experimented with a food diary and then like and a sort of mood diary. Uh, and then, yeah, that I cut out. I can't touch caffeine now, like no Coke or coffee at all. If I have a Coke now, it's like the next day I was just like a, a mess, like really. Wow find it very difficult to be in, in a room with, with lots of people, which yeah. an improv is what you're doing all the time. <laughs> but once caffeine's out, like, it's fine. I was like, right, okay, it's more positive. Uh, next obvious thing. I was just going to say, just because something's obvious doesn't mean it doesn't need to be pointed out. Because <laughs> then once you've pointed it out, it's like, oh, yeah, that's obvious. But I didn't realise that until someone pointed it out. <laughs> yeah, because you hear, you hear, you know, it's like a cartoon stereotype, like coffee makes people like... Rrr. Yeah. I always thought it was a little bit, but this was so bad that I thought there was something else wrong with me. And I can't believe it was just that, because that was like two years of my life that would have been a lot easier. <laughs> so next Steve's hot improv tip, don't, don't drink 
five nights a week and think you can like teach at a high level because it's just not compatible. And the same with performing. I had to I have to cut back my alcohol a lot now. This is also just getting older, I think. But I mean, for me, there was a few, there was a warning sign about drinking. So I used to teach the the rag factory, yeah. and this is the day when it all changed. I used to teach the rag factory in off Brick Lane. I was there about four or five nights a week. Uh, one night, um, I walked in off the like, there's this great pub opposite, a really like old school pub. It was really good fun, Re- always packed. Yeah. DJ in the corner, even though like old old man sort of pub. Um, I walked in, three deep at the bar, and I was like, oh. I'm not going to get served, never mind. And the bar lady just sort of gave me a nod, and gave me a pint of Dean bar, and she said, pay for it later, Steve. <laughs> and I was like, one, how the hell do you know my name? Two, how do you know what I want to drink? And I actually asked her, and she's like, uh, looked at me really confused. <laughs> and she's like, well, you're in here every night of the week. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I suppose I am. I never really thought about it. And I said, so we really chat? And she's like, at the start, you always look like you don't really know us. By the end, you're really talkative. And I was like, oh, God, I'm pissed, like, five yeah. nights a week. Then on the way home, feeling bad about this, I stopped off at this curry house in Brick Lane, <laughs> got the menu, and the guy said, do you want the usual? <laughs> and I went, the usual? What's that? He goes, chicken biryani. I said, how often do I have that? And he said, two nights a week. I said, I don't know, is that often? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and then on the way out, I said, good to see you again, Steve. Anyway, that was it. I was like, mate, I can't believe... And I thought, how long has that been? It's been about two years. And it just caught up on me a bit because, you know, have a couple of drinks after each improv thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's once a week, that's fine. But it was yeah. like five, it was like six nights a week. God, yeah. So, um, and then I cut the alcohol out. Um, so just once a week with that now. Uh, and again, <laughs> oh, it's like, I don't feel weird teaching anymore. And um, I'm actually like not in a massively weird mood every time in, in, at the Miller. Yeah, yeah. Because it was definitely a couple of years I was finding it very hard to be around a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and was, was, was totally faking it, to be honest. Not pretty common knowledge amongst some close friends of mine. I'd be like, George would be like, you've got your Miller character yeah, yeah, yeah. that I put on. Yeah. But, I mean, I suppose a lot of people have this, like a social face. But for me, it, was, it, it started to become like a character that worked four years ago but I was having to be because I was running Hippler wow but um, yeah cutting down the alcohol caffeine um, getting lots of sleep going running cutting out bread <laughs> this is all to do improv you know in Fight Club yeah. the film yeah, yeah. where it's like suddenly everything I do was for Fight Club he's yeah. like I've trimmed my nails and cut my hair for Fight Club yeah. so I'm like that now with improv and Hippler <laughs> it's like I don't like I watch what I eat but I don't it's not for looks or anything uh, I'm still like a bit overweight, but it's just because like changing what I eat changed my perception of in workshops, yeah. and um, and it, and it made me more be able to stay like more upbeat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I say this all the time. I, I, with groups, I'm gonna um, I'm directing. I'm gonna say this as well. Like uh, so many times, you have to, if you really listen to this, you'll spot it. Before a show starts, when a group comes and they get together and they say, "How are you?" Eighty percent of the time, everyone will be going, "Oh, I'm really tired." Be yeah. like, "Oh, I'm really tired. I'm not feeling too well." Yeah. Very rarely will someone go, "Be English." Will someone go, "How are you?" Yeah, I'm great. I'm fucking so looking forward to this. I am up for it. Yeah, yeah. It's usually a sequence of like people almost apologising for the fact they're going to be shit that evening yeah, yeah, yeah. to try and like, you know, defend themselves. But you watch like an American group, like North Coast, the improvised hip hop group, 
and like they're backstage and they're like, yeah, here we go. Um, how are we feeling? Everyone's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's fuck shit up. Let's go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like they're kind of upbeat and I don't, and um, I don't think you should, I don't mean you have to fake that, but I think there are things you can do to put yourself in a good positive mindset, physically, emotionally, um, for improv, um, I think. And life. I mean, obviously, it's going to rub off to everything else as well. Um, that's it, really. Oh, yeah, and before a big show, don't... <laughs> don't I can't believe I'm going to tell you this story. Two stories. One, obviously, don't do loads of, like, shitty emails just before you go on stage because you will be in a mode of, like, stress and anxiety. <laughs> but don't... Don't cock up a big show in your life um, by taking loads of... Um, Space cakes with your best mate the day before. That would be my other top tip. <laughs> that wasn't a good move. I won't say what show it is because I don't want to upset the people who were in it when they find out. But there you go. There was a big show. I was nervous about it. And my mate Edgar was like, let's do some hash cakes. And uh, we did. And it was really good fun. But then I was not good in the show afterwards. But that was a classic example of just sabotaging your own show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. Stay healthy. Stay healthy, kids. Stay healthy, yes. I've long resigned myself to um, never feeling... Uh, always. I always think, you know, whenever I'm going to perform or do a class, for that matter, yeah. I'm always going to feel tired and I'm always going to feel ill and I'm just going to kind of put that aside because if I wait until this mystical peak performance... Yeah. I don't think that actually exists. I think this yeah. is just how I feel. So I try and put that to one side and it's like, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah, you're so right. Um, I mean, that happens a lot. Like the whole, you know, I'll do my, you know, I'll do my breakthrough Edinburgh show when I've got a year where there's like no stress and nothing else to worry about. That never happens. No. And like, no, like there's no performer, even the really successful, in fact, especially them because they've got more stress and more things rising on it. There's no perfect time um, to get started on something. There is no magic time. There's yeah. no magic state of mind. Yeah. I mean, we can do things to try and create one, but we just have to know it's never going to... You're never perfect and it's never ready. Yeah. Um, but don't talk to me about that. Talk to Casey Sheet. She's no, she's, <laughs> she's more productive <laughs> with shows, um, but she's kind of the expert on that, really. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Right, I will, uh, I will seek this Katie out okay. and I will speak to her. Okay, good. <laughs> Just for the listeners at home, Stuart's now looking at the notebook for the next topic. Uh, the next topic is... Um, well, we were going to talk about some of the classes that Hoopla have got coming up in the next season. Oh, yeah, so we've got um, um, next season, as in uh, May and June, we've just put on all the websites. So, yeah, we've got a great list of people, actually. We've got... Um, excited about the Saturdays. Um, so it used to be me um, teaching workshops every Saturday, but we've got some other, because I'm directing these shows, we've got some other guest teachers in now. So we've got Amy Cook-Hodgson from Ostentatious, which is Brilliant. very exciting, teaching scenes and narrative. Um, we've got um, Sue Harrison from Showstoppers teaching character, um, Chris Mead uh, teaching narrative, and then we've got, um, coming up, Chris Mead's improvised theatre course. Which is very exciting. Yeah, um, Jenny teaching long form, fielding, improvised musicals. So yeah, we're still trying to do, um, there's a bunch of stuff that's sold out actually for the summer, not meaning to show off. <laughs> but there's more, I wish I could say everything, but I'm going to, come September, we're going to put on a full range of stuff because we had Ruth Bratz teaching 
yeah. improvised theatre as well. And um, Maria doing Harold's, uh, Peter Lilly teaching clowning. Yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah. I really, I really want to try... Well, part of me really wants to try clowning, and part of me is terrified of try, trying clowning. Oh, OK. Because I think it all depends on... I've heard a lot of mixed things about clowning. Yeah. And it tends to be, it's all right as long as you do this particular teacher... But every time someone <laughs> said that to me, it's been a different teacher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's different grades of clown teacher. I chose Peter because she's quite friendly. Yeah. But there's other ones that will just be like, your shit, get off. Yeah. But that's my favourite one. I think they're really? quite funny. Yeah, Mick Barnfather. Um, I, I've tried to get him to teach for Hitler, but he's too busy, unfortunately. But I do recommend doing stuff with him. He do, does run his own stuff. And, <laughs> and then... Um, he does this exercise where you have to come in and basically try and be funny. And when you're not, he just bangs this drum. If he bangs it three times, yeah, then you're off. And, um, like, that's it. That's impossible. It, it was very funny. I don't really liked it. And some people hate it and are crying in the break. <laughs> but it, it's part of the education. Is you have to realise that the game itself is like a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's about being okay with like just being shit for a bit. So he does it like this massive church church hall and he set it up so the chairs are at one end of the church hall. So it's about a good 50 metres long <laughs> from your entrance. And you enter from like this far corner all by yourself. It's like 20 people there. And before I come in, he really built me up as well. He was like, right, next, who have we got? Aha, Steve Rowe, I'm Swipler, improv. Okay, this should be good. Okay, <laughs> dealing with a professional. I come in and I go, ha-ha, like, no one laughs. And he's like, bang. And I walk forward to do one more thing. Bang. And, and I say one thing, bang. And he's like, it was very bad, very disappointing. I think you should contact everyone who's ever done improv with you and give them their money back. <laughs> it's awful. Right, leave. And I'm like, what? And he's like, no, bye-bye. And um, I'm like, what? And he's like, bye-bye. So then I walk to the back, back into the kitchen, take my costume off. I was in some costume. And I'm, I can't hear anything outside, so I think I presume he's moved on. I walk back in. And he's like, I said, bye-bye. <laughs> I'm like, but I need to sit down again. He's like, no, leave. It was so bad, you're not allowed in the room. So I leave, and I'm sat in the kitchen for like five, ten minutes. And I think, right, this must, I must be okay. There's no way out of this kitchen other than walking through. So I walk into the hall as myself. And he's left people there for ten minutes just waiting for this entrance. And then everyone laughs. And then he goes, now you're funny. And, and then I react to that. I'm happy that I'm funny. And then he's like, no, you're not. Fuck off. Bye. <laughs> so the moment I was caught out um, and just generally made an idiot of myself was quite funny. But I found it, I found it really funny. Like, the more he bullied me, the funnier it got, really. I thought it was quite good fun. I think it's because my school life was like that. Not that... <laughs> yeah, it was an all-boys school where the sort of daily routine was everyone's taking a piss out of each other. Yeah. And... So when someone takes a piss out of me, I actually think they're my friend. <laughs> when someone's being really nice to me. I think it's like a comprehensive school thing. I spoke to someone in the workshops, my friend Maggie. She's probably, she might even be listening by now. Hello, Maggie. But we said that we bonded, me and I love Maggie. We love her because we bonded by the fact that we both said if someone's being too nice to us, we think they don't like us. Because <laughs> at school that would be like that. You'd be like, well, why are you being nice? That's really weird. Why would you do that school? And then if someone like is just generally quite like insulting, 
it's really funny because that would be what a friend would do at school. And um, I think for me, that's why I enjoy clowning because I don't mind being laughed at. I th- it made me feel warmer to him. <laughs> and at the end of an improv course, Maggie, <laughs> Maggie gave me this present. And she was got given money from the Greeks buying me a present. And they were like, oh, that's really inappropriate. So they brought me a different present, which said, um, best improv teacher 2018, and they gave me that first. And I was like, oh, thanks very much. That's very kind. And then Maggie's like, well, actually, I got the present first. This is this one. It said, like, um, original hoopla arsehole <laughs> as a mug. <laughs> and I was like, wow, <laughs> I love it. And I drink a coffee with it every day. <laughs> so that mug is like top of the cupboards. Whenever someone comes home, I give it to them. And I think it's really funny. So um, I don't know what the moral of that story is. But yeah, I suppose clowning, it's like, yeah, you do get clown, t- clown teachers will be like, you're not funny, get off. But that it's basically just no, it, you're not doing a fucking presentation. It's just for fun. So it's like you're being a clown. So you have to be happy with being laughed at, not just laughed with. Yeah. I mean, you don't go to the circus, and if you laugh at a clown, they suddenly stop and they're embarrassed and they leave. You'd be like, um, sorry, I didn't think you were running a, a like a <laughs> FTSE 100 company. I thought you were a clown in a, in a fire truck where you accidentally put petrol on a fire instead of water. So if I laugh at you, I want you to keep being stupid and to not be massively embarrassed, because yes. also the point is to make them laugh. But it, that does feel very... I think if you're not used to being laughed at, then clowning can feel overwhelming. But I think some people have had a stage in their life where they they are being used to being laughed at. Um, it's definitely laughed at quite a lot. I've got quite a <laughs> my face has got less weird since I got older. It's almost like the rest of me has grown to fit my face. But when when I was like <laughs> twelve, I went from being like a kind of normal looking kid so suddenly my nose just went bowing like that and my chin boing I just looked like this sort of and my head was like got way big and all in one year and I, I just suddenly went from normal kid to looking like a punch puppet and um so yeah people used to take the piss um and I think that was upsetting for a bit and then eventually I found that uh I could just be quite funny so that was all right uh, don't worry it's not a super sad story <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the same and my, and my school was the sort of school where whatever flaw you had and everyone had one every single person in every class you're in would relentlessly take the piss and, but everyone was doing it to each other right and um, so when my high school friends meet up we have this sort of fake um, oh we're adults let's talk about work and stuff but then about two hours in it suddenly breaks into this whole other like range of <laughs> insulting humour and then it's actually a really nice relief it's quite fun I quite, it's quite fun to be told what a prick you are sometimes <laughs> Honest, honestly by someone who knows you and then to say that you've always been a prick uh, I think that's nice I think that's a bonding experience <laughs> and that's how you run Hoopla now <laughs> yeah I'm just gonna <laughs> I don't, on an email newsletter I'll send it out MailChimp Hi, everyone. You're a prick. You've always been a prick. No, I don't think that about everyone. But... <laughs> There's enough pricks out there that if you yeah. send out that blanket message, you'll hit more often than you won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, but I mean, like, old friends, you know, yeah, you just yeah, see yeah. this reoccurring behaviour in them that they've had since they were, like, 10 years old. And the same with me. And you're just like... There's something unavoidably unavoidable about them. So, yeah. Uh, time for the big last question. Yeah. 
What is the Steve Rowe signature move on stage? What does Steve? When's this question come from? Is this a new question you do in your podcast? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> the Steve, Steve Rowe signature move. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, I ask everybody about their own signature move. I don't ask everybody about the Steve Rowe signature move. <laughs> Although that, not that egocentric. <laughs> Although that sounds a delightful no. thing. I might start doing. No, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, uh, why do you like that? Steve Ray's signature move. Well, what is it, or what would I like it to be? It's two different things, isn't it? Yes, I'd like the answers to both. Uh, it depends what show I'm in. Um, so my favourite show to be in is Music Box because I've been doing that the longest and really know the show. So signature move. I mean, there's multiple, Stuart. Multiple signature <laughs> moves. Give me one. <laughs> uh, I like to step on stage first. Not that it's a competition, yeah. but I like. To, I always think. Um, Unless I haven't got an impulse, but I think I always go for like try and act on first impulse. Yeah. And it, that's very noticeable. Uh, last couple of weeks I've been in Music Box and there's been some other shows where I've been more guesting in. A Music Box, like suggestion happened, opening number I was in, and then empty space, first scene, I had like an impulse, so I just went with it, got on, and I was really happy. I did this character from Balham that I knew. Um, and the whole show was like really fun, and I just the whole time I felt like really in the moment like someone says something I react to it from character didn't have to think about anything at all so I suppose for signature move would be um, acting on impulse yeah. uh, and, not, and not questioning that um, and so for me and that's very noticeable if I'm in a show where that doesn't happen I feel like I'm not improvising I feel like that's not me yeah. so, so in fact the weekend afterwards in the show I didn't know the cast hadn't done a rehearsal uh, which I tried I need to not do anymore not be in shows where I haven't rehearsed properly because I think it's a bit like naff um yeah and then like first suggestion I had a really strong impulse and like a great idea um in my opinion and then for some reason I didn't step on stage even though the stage was empty and then two others did the scene and I was no point was I in the scene uh, and the whole show for half an hour was just on the back foot because then I was like oh what should I do yeah what should I do what does this show need and I started questioning myself yeah yeah um so, yeah, I mean, I think that's my signature teaching move as well, I, I hope, is just to be like, connect to your impulses, one, hear what they are, and then two, act on them. Yeah. Which brings us back to what we'll do with Meisner tonight. Ah. Ah. <laughs> that sounds like the perfect note on which to end. Yeah. Thank you very much for being on the Improv London podcast. Thank you for having me on the Improv London podcast, episode 92. <laughs> it's the one everyone will be talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. This. That's improv! <laughs> <laughs>